Wow, you are at Founders FAQ. Answers to all the possible questions of a founder. You're looking at risks around value and risks around feasibility, right? So risks around value, is there a need for this? Will customers want it? Will they pay for it? How big of a need is there? Is there a market size for this? Um, will they pay enough to sustain a business around it? Feasibility is can we build it? Can we build it to scale? Can we design a compelling user experience? Can we scale this up to a million users? Can will the performance hold, right? That type of thing. At the beginning of an idea, you should always, always err on the side of value, right? Those are the risks that are far, far more important in the early days than feasibility. Welcome to Founders of AQ. Today, my guest is Jeff Gautel. Jeff is co-writer of award-winning book, Lean UX, author of Sense and Respond, and also he has recently published his latest book, Forever Employable. Hi, Jeff. Welcome to Founders of AQ. My first question is about uncertainty of the startup. What do you think about how founders should deal with uncertainty while evolving their startups? We have a tremendous opportunity today, given the technologies that we use, the way people interact, the access that you have to, to pretty much anyone in the world to learn very, very quickly where the risks and where the challenges are in your idea and how you might want to overcome some of those. And what that does is it reduces the uncertainty of your startup idea. And the interesting thing is, is that the assumptions that you've made leading up to that idea are often going to be wrong. You're often going to be challenged. And if you're going to be a successful founder, You need to be comfortable with being wrong because you can't predict the future. No one's 100% right and there's too much uncertainty. And in that part, while handling the uncertainty, how founders' core values help about it? I think that the values that a founder has are the seeds of the culture of that startup. Whatever... The, the founder values, however the founder behaves, what, um, what behaviors that founder rewards, those are going to be the seeds that the founders, the founder or the founders plant for the culture of that organization as it grows. So like with, with two people, three people, five people, not a big deal. You start to get into 15, 25, 50, 100, 500 people. The culture that those will be a direct reflection of the founder's values. And after that part, you put your values as seed to grow and you have started to scale and you will face tons of problems. At that point, how should founders diagnose every kind of problem and iterate startup in a really fast way? So look, I don't think you have to diagnose every single problem. I think what you need to do is identify the current risks to your idea, the current challenges to scaling, the current challenges to developing an audience, to marketing and, and sustaining that audience, and then prioritize which ones are the most critical to your success right now. Because you can't possibly 
diagnose and and then correct every single threat to your startup and the scale of that startup. And so as you're looking at those potential challenges, let's identify at a high level all the things that can keep us from scaling, competitive threats, customer acquisition challenges, pricing models, business models, uh, you, you, you name it, right? Um, sustainability as a business, can we, if we scale to a million customers, can we sustain that? How do we do that? And then really look at the things that you need to worry about right now. So, for example, if you're just starting out, understanding your customers and your market and whether or not there's even a market big enough to scale into, it's far, far more important than what are we going to do when we have a million customers. So that is a way to prioritize some of those risks based on what is really, really important right now. Because, look, the reality is almost I would, I would guess almost every startup, as they think about techn- the technical feasibility side of things, right, the, the technical architecture, the scalability, the performance, all of them refactor their code base significantly as they go from 100 users to 1,000 users to 50,000 to 500,000 to a million, right? There's a refactoring there. So there's no use worrying about that stuff right now. Worry about the early stage things that will kill your business, not the technology. And to make it happen, you need a willingness to explore those as a, as a team. So how should founders protect the willingness of the team to find out solutions of their problems constantly? I think if the founders keep their staff from learning and discovering new problems and new opportunities, you're effectively damning that startup to death. There's no way that a founder knows everything. There's no way that a founder can anticipate everything. And if you're hiring people simply for execution, not for discovery, not for learning, then they will execute for you. But when it doesn't work, it won't be their fault that it didn't work. It'd be your fault for not letting them figure out better ways to do things, for not enabling them to discover better ways to execute, better market opportunities, how to talk to their customers more successfully. And so there must be the ability for your teams to learn, to discover, to challenge, to push back, and then to reprioritize their work based on what they're learning. In all this process, there are tons of risks. How should founders leverage the risk to reach the best possible path of a startup? When I work with an organization, especially in the early stages, if you think about it, a, a product idea, a feature idea, whatever it is, in its early stages, you've got a choice of basically two risks, right? There's the, there's, I mean, there's probably more, but I, I like to boil it down to just to make the decision really, really simple. You're looking at risks around value and risks around feasibility. Right. So risks around value. Is there a need for this? Will customers want it? Will they pay for it? How big of a need is there? Is there a market size for this? Um, will they pay enough to sustain a business around it? Feasibility is can we build it? Can we build it to scale? Can we design a compelling user experience? Can we scale this up to a million users? Can will the performance hold? Right. That type of thing. At the beginning of an idea, you should always, always Air on the side of value, right? Those are the risks that are far, far more important in the early days 
than feasibility. You can figure out feasibility. Like we can pretty much build anything. You dedicate enough time, money, and resources, you'll figure it out. But value, understanding the risks around value, helps you determine whether or not you should actually make that investment. If nobody wants it, if you're not solving a real problem, if they're not willing to pay for it, or they're not willing to pay enough for it, or the way that you have decided to deliver the service isn't the way that people want to consume it, that is far more important to learn in the early days than whether or not you can build it and scale it. Because it doesn't matter if you can build it or scale it, if nobody wants it, nobody's willing to pay for it. Yeah, I think you summarize it pretty well way. And handling the risk is pretty much dependent on the culture of a startup as well. What are your topics for the culture? And do you think culture is changeable from day one to day 100 or so? I think it's really difficult to change culture as the organization grows. Again, 10, 15, 20, 50 people, you can still do it, maybe 100, 150, right? It's interesting, there's a really famous design agency called IDEO. And IDEO, every time a, a local office of theirs grew to 150 people, they would divide it in half. And they'd make two offices of 75 because they didn't want any culture that was bigger than 150 people. I think it becomes very, very difficult to change the culture once you grow past that number. And so as you think about that, think about the seeds that you're planting. In my opinion, successful, a, a good culture, a successful culture is a culture of humility and a culture of learning. And what, I, what do I mean by that? I mean that the founders are humble publicly, transparently humble about what they know and what they don't know. They have strong opinions about what they want to build, why they want to build it, who they want to build it for. But when the evidence comes back from the market, from the work that they're doing, the early stage work that they're doing that says, you were right about this, but you were wrong about that, they're willing to change their mind. They're willing to learn and evolve and grow. And if you can model that behavior at the founder level, you can plant those seeds of culture from the beginning, then that's how the organization will scale. So as it scales into 150, 250, 500, 1,000 people, you're maintaining those core values of humility and learning. And that is what empowers the people that you hire to do their best work because they're going to go out and do their best work and the work that they do may conflict with your opinion of what they shouldn't be doing or how they should be doing it. And if there's room for that conversation, if there's room for that debate, you will build a better product. But if there's no room, if there's no humility, if there's no curiosity, if there's no learning taking place in the organization, then you're going to pursue a path that is more than likely going to be wrong. Yes, but even you set it up like that, you may face some politics inside teams. What do you think about politics inside teams and how to resolve it? I think the best thing that you can do is create cross-functional teams and set up the incentive structures to match those cross-functional teams. So I think if you set incentives individually, like a marketing incentive, a sales incentive, a tech team incentive, a design team incentive, the politics are going to get worse and worse and worse. You're going to divide the organization. You're going to put everybody into silos. 
and they're going to pit against each other to achieve their own individual or, or discipline-specific goals. If you build a cross-functional team with product management, design, engineering, and product marketing, just to name a few, on the same team, and you say, look, your job as a team is to achieve this goal together, then that team is going to have to work together to achieve that goal. There's not going to be, well, the, the, we wrote the code, but the marketers didn't market. It doesn't work that way, right? If, if the team doesn't win, the team loses together. And to me, that's the key to build into an organization early on, right? So break away those silos, build those cross-functional teams, and set set the incentives as the same for that cross-functional team. Otherwise, you'll get people say, well, well look, we, we launched a marketing campaign. The fact that you designed and built a crappy product, well, that's not our fault. We marketed, we did the best marketing job we could, right? But the best marketing job you can do without a good product doesn't make sense. And so we've got to build that cross-functional collaboration, that transparency, so that teams are always working together to understand how they can lift each other up to achieve that team-based goal. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I get it. And lastly, uh, my final question is, uh, this is a kind of long journey for founders. Uh, there are tons of ups and downs in the journey. What would be the simple advice that you can give for founders in this long process uh, to keep it up and every time uh, while scaling their companies? I think the most important thing you can do to maintain the the momentum and the energy is to stay close to your customers. It's easy as you start to succeed and grow to forget about the customer contact that made you successful in the first place. I find that the founders and CEOs and CEO founders that go for the long haul on this stay close to their customers. They're talking to them. They're listening. They're participating in discussion. They're on Twitter. They're on LinkedIn. They're writing blog posts and sending newsletters. And it's those founders who can see on a daily basis, on a weekly basis, how well their products meet customer needs, how well their products don't meet customer needs, where they're having success, where they're making customers successful and and delighting them, where they're frustrating them. That's what gets good founders, I think, out of bed every day and off to work. Great job. These are all my questions. Thank for attending to Founders FAQ and talk soon. Awesome. Thank you very much. By the way, Founders FAQ is in pre-order and it covers the answers to all the possible questions of a founder in a startup journey, whether revealing life-saving principles for the startup survival path, building A-plus teams, creating an evolving machine, setting up a need culture, or interpreting the true path for the fundraising. You can pre-order it from foundersfq.com and you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, and Facebook.